0: Well, as we've mentioned a couple of times, yesterday was Mabo Day. And on the 3rd of June 1992, the High Court of Australia issued its judgment in the Mabo case. That was a claim by Eddie Mabo, uh, a Christian friend of Uncle Ben, uh, and two others, on behalf of the traditional owners for recognition of native title to most of the island of Myrrh, No, we've got to do this. I've got to get a new (laughs) clicker. Thank you. Uh, uh, This is in the eastern part of the Torres Strait Islands. It was a claim against the Queensland government. Did you go to the next one? Sorry. Eddie Mabo had been speaking up for land rights for over 30 years and tragically died before the judgment in his favour was issued. Uh, He is more honoured after his death than he was before. Uh, Many people did not want to listen to him uh, when he was alive. In fact, we heard yesterday from his niece uh, that after he died, which was about six months before the judgment came out, um, a tombstone was put up for him uh, in Townsville uh, and The next day, they went to it to find that it had been desecrated. Swastikas in red paint had been sprayed onto Eddie Mabo's tombstone. In the Mabo case, the highest court of Australia held that the doctrine of terra terra nullius, that no one is here, was wrong in fact and law, and the judges held that in some parts of Australia there was sufficient continuity in the occupation and land use by indigenous people that certain rights of use and occupation could be recognised by Australian law. Subsequently, the federal parliament went a bit further with the Native Title Act. Some people look back at that judgment as a great victory for truth and justice, people being heard, Others look back and say it didn't really change much. Most of the Indigenous people in Australia have had no direct benefit from that decision. Most of the productive land and developed areas in Australia, including its towns and cities, farms and mines, were unaffected by the judgment. And still no compensation has been paid for stolen land, a glass 10% 10% full or 90% empty? Uh, I've been asked to speak again on Marbo Day. Immediately after the passage that I preached on last week, we find a passage where the experience of the indigenous people in Australia over the last 230 years has certain parallels with the experience of Jesus when he went back to his hometown. For we have prophets without honour in in their homeland, perhaps not so much in this church where I hope we give them honour, but in many places of Australia. For a prophet is someone who speaks words of warning and encouragement from God. Today I want to do two things. Uh, First I want to see what our reading from Mark chapter 6 meant when it was written and its significance for us today, for our understanding of Jesus and his mission, and second, to look at some of the parallels with indigenous prophets today. Earlier, back in chapter one, we had seen Jesus welcomed into the synagogue in Capernaum. He had been invited to speak, uh, had driven out a demon, and was recognised as speaking with authority it says the people were also amazed that they asked each other what is this a new teaching and with authority he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him they welcomed him in Capernaum but things had started to get a bit darker by chapter 6 things had certainly changed Jesus had faced growing opposition He'd been chased away from exercising his divine power to drive out demons and heal and restore a man who had suffered terribly from those demons. His authority to forgive sins and uh, the source of his power to heal had been questioned. Jesus was doing good. But what right did he have to do good? Particularly if it showed up the failures and limitations of those in power. We might think Jesus would be safe and respected in his hometown of Nazareth. It was a small, insignificant village. Based on archaeological evidence, it seems that it had no more than a few hundred inhabitants. Houses were made of mud bricks. Uh, And again, Jesus went to a synagogue on a Saturday to teach. We're not told what he taught, but we are told the others were amazed maybe by his knowledge of the scriptures, but probably by his ability to explain what they meant, to speak words of warning and encouragement, as he so often did. Yeah, that'll do. But the reception was not warm in his hometown. The Nazarenes referred to Jesus as this man, not by his name, Yeshua, They referred to Jesus as a carpenter, not as a rabbi or teacher, as he was often addressed elsewhere. The word we translate as carpenter, technon, would be better translated in Australia as tradie. There was not much wood around Nazareth, so he probably worked most of the time with stone and metal. But tradies were respected, as long as they stuck to their trade. A bit like Blackfellas telling us about their art, but us not wanting them to tell us about justice. We don't want the voice, it seems, or at least in parts of Australia, we don't want the voice. We you know, what would these blackfellas know? What would they be able to tell us? The people in the synagogue say, in effect. He is one of us, but no one we would expect to teach with great wisdom or do miracles. They refer to his brothers and sisters to convey the sense of familiarity and ordinariness. So the locals took effect at Jesus, and it is Jesus' response that should interest us. A prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among the relatives, his relatives and in his own home. Uh, we should notice a few things. First, Jesus identified himself as a prophet. By the end of the New Testament, we see Jesus as a prophet, priest, and king. But here, Jesus' self-identity as a prophet will do. To claim to be a prophet shows Jesus understood he was speaking words of warning and encouragement from God. As I said, that's what a prophet did. Prophets did not so much predict the future, But speak God's words into the context in which they found themselves. So Jesus was not claiming to be, was not just claiming to be a good preacher or a wise teacher. He was claiming that he spoke God's words, often words of judgment. He may have also been identifying himself with the line of prophets whose writings we find in the Old Testament, guys like Moses and Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the like. The link with the Old Testament prophets is that they too received a very rough time uh, in the places where they lived and prophesied. Opposition came in two ways. Some were insulted, rejected and ignored. Others faced threats, violence and being chained up or put in stocks. It's thought at least six were martyred. In our first reading we saw Jeremiah being put into prison, he would later go into exile in Egypt. Uh, None of the prophets were crucified, as that was a later Roman practice, but some were stoned to death. Uh, I could say more, but the key is that Jesus knew he had words the people in his hometown needed to hear, but they did not want to hear him. Jesus had already clashed with the Pharisees and scribes who had travelled at least several days from Jerusalem to check on what he was saying and doing and looking at ways to close him down. As we have seen, Jesus' message was a combination of return to God, follow his ways, and in particular, look after the poor and vulnerable. Jesus' message was... Give up your evil ways and return to God. Give up on your hypocrisy and greed and love one another. Uh, if you're greedy, hypocritical, and don't want to put yourself out for others, that is not a message, message you're going to like to hear. And the immediate consequence of that rejection, this lack of trust in Jesus, is the reverse of what we saw last week, Last week we saw Jairus and a woman of faith trust Jesus and they received healing. In Nazareth, in response to their lack of faith, Jesus could or would not do anything. The Nazarenes were amazed but not happy with Jesus. Jesus was amazed at but not happy with their lack of faith. Jesus' rejection in Nazareth was a preview of the rejection he would face in Jerusalem, where in the capital of his home country, he was rejected and killed for the prophecies that he brought. There was no honour in the way that he was tried, tortured and killed. So in a sense, he was predicting his future. Uh, In a short story like this we ask, well, what does it add? But I think what it shows is that the continuity between God's plan of salvation in the Old Testament, particularly conveyed through the prophets. And I suggest it's a warning to us to listen to people today who speak words of warning and encouragement from or consistent with God's word to us. We hear words today from, that we would expect to hear from prophets from God. And those prophets are around us. How have we listened to and responded to words of warning and encouragement we've heard over the last 230 years in Australia, particularly from wise and godly indigenous people who know we are here to care for God's creation, share its bounty and care for each other. I could speak about how various aspects of indigenous culture have been despised and how the wisdom of people who've lived successfully in this land for over 60,000 years has been ridiculed or ignored. The absence of foreign exploitative forms of agriculture has been seen as evidence of inferior minds, where indigenous people had healthy diets and survived droughts and floods and lived largely happy and peaceful lives without destroying the delicate soils, the river systems and the unique flora and fauna that God put here. During the terrible period of fires three years ago, various people drew attention to the ways Aboriginal people had cared for the land with slow burns in cooler seasons. But the news cycle has moved on, and we hear little of that now. Although I did hear yesterday um, that... uh, They're planning to burn off 7,000 hectares of bush. But there's over a a million hectares of bush in the Blue Mountains alone. Uh, I was up at Taree on Monday and heard the fireys had said that the fuel load is higher than it was before the fires because of all the rain that we've had. and And the fires were so intense before that they destroyed the canopy So lots of uh, tree matter has fallen down, uh, and because more sunlight is getting down, and we've had lots of rain, it's just as thick as I've ever seen it. But there's no comprehensive plan of slow burns up there. The profits of sustainable practice built on 60,000 years of experience are not honoured when more dams are built and more land is cleared and people in the city don't like the smoke from winter burn-offs. But I think I want to put that to one side and focus on how Indigenous spiritualities have been despised or ignored by non-Indigenous people in the way that Indigenous prophets who know God's words are not honoured and how offers of peace and calls for justice that flow from a knowledge of God have been rejected. The link with the situation with Indigenous people in Australia today is peace and wisdom. The Nazarenes rejected Jesus' wisdom and offer of peace through reconciliation. Many non-Indigenous people in Australia have spent 230 years rejecting the wisdom of and offers of peace from Indigenous people. In effect, they say, We don't want peace, we want your land. We have the advantage of prophets like Uncle Ray. Oh, why does it keep on? Could we have the pictures, please? Great. We have the advantage here of prophets like Uncle Ray, Auntie Sharon, Larissa, Uncle Ben and Stan Grant who speak of the continuity between indigenous spiritualities and the Christian faith we now share. They have taught us that a thousand generations have looked up to the sky and seen the heavens declare the glory of God and they now know his name is Jesus. You've heard me say this before, but I I find this deeply profound the continuity there is. These people have known from time immemorial that there is a creator God, that we are part of his creation and that he stands, that he wants us to care for his creation. Uh, Environmentalism starts with God, not some lefty conspiracy. We've heard Uncle Ray speak from Genesis and the Book of Job about the ways that God knows his story. Just to hear Ray talk about how Job's loss of everything corresponds with his loss of everything and then be told, it's your fault, as Job's friends told him. From that, Ray has been able to speak to us words of survival and hope based upon his trust in God. We've heard Stan Grant speak from Lamentations about the ways God's words have equipped him to deal with the challenges he has faced all his life and a deep desire for reconciliation and peace based on the reconciliation and peace we have with God. And what honour do they receive? I hope you honour here, but Ray and Sharon arrived in Glebe as refugees from another Anglican church and vowed never to get tied up with Anglicans again. I'm glad their experience with you has helped them break that vow. Uncle Ray was asked to contribute a video on reconciliation to an international program sponsored by the Archbishop of Canterbury. This was shown to the synod of all Anglican bishops in England and was received with warm and sustained applause but he has not had that honour shown him in our synods. I know our Archbishop and Bishop respect Ray and Sharon as they have told me that. But that's about as far as it goes. Their warmth and their respect ends there. We need honor and action. I know that they both, uh, Kanishka and Michael, both are in favor of the voice. But how many of you know that? How many of you have heard them standing up and say, "Yes, the voice is the way forward for Australia. Out of the 800 uh, sorry, 80 million Anglicans around the world, Uncle Ray, has been awarded the Archbishop of Canterbury's International Award for Reconciliation. It was conferred just out there under the scar tree. But he's received no such award or recognition in his adopted hometown of Sydney. Uncle Ray and Auntie Sharon have been awarded honorary doctorates from the North American Institute for Indigenous Theological Studies, NATES, which is where they are at the moment. But they've received no such recognition from theological colleges in Australia. Now what can be said of Stan? He's a humble and kind man, as we've seen over his several visits to us here at Scar Tree and St John's. He, He clearly loves God and is shaped by God's love for him. The ABC chose to have him comment on the coronation before it started, to offer an indigenous voice. What would we think he was supposed to say to gush about the clothes and decorations and the paraphernalia of monarchy and empire? As I reflected on what people comment on at these royal occasions, all I could remember from the wedding of William and Kate was the extensive commentary on her sh- the shapely bottom of Kate's sister, Pippa. Was, was Stan supposed to provide commentary like that, an indigenous voice on someone's bottom. And said, Stan spoke words of truth about what the monarchy meant to him. For it was under kings and a queen of England that his ancestors were invaded, dispossessed, subjugated, and subjected to genocide. The gaps we have to close today are the direct product of the practices and indifference of Her Majesty's government. Jesus hated hypocrisy. Was Stan supposed to prostitute himself by marvelling at the good things that have flowed from colonialism? If I'd been doing what he did, and I'm glad I had to do that type of thing, I may have mentioned that Queen Victoria was the biggest drug dealer of the 19th century. And some of the tensions and mistrust we have with China today and the doubts and challenges that come from that stem from England's use of war and trade sanctions to force opium on the people of China. Why don't the Chinese trust us? Why should they? Yet Stan is abused for telling the truth as he sees it and for being black. Because black people shouldn't speak up, particularly in their own country. Now he and his family have been threatened, as Jesus was threatened. I don't want to push the analogy too far, neither Stan nor Uncle Ray is a messiah. But they do speak words of warning and encouragement from God's word and talk about his justice and care for the afflicted. And it does seem to me that some of the opposition to the voice is a way of saying, shut up. We know best, we don't want to hear from you. Which, of course, is what Jesus heard. So, what are we to do? I suggest we should learn from our passage today. The people of Nazareth should have listened to Jesus. They should have asked where he got his powers from, as they would only come from God. They should have tested his teaching against what they could read in the scriptures. Was Jesus' message consistent with the messages and promises of the prophets of old? Yes. And more than that, Jesus was the fulfillment of those promises, if they'd only listened to him and given him the honor he deserved. And so we should test the lives and teaching of our latter-day prophets against the words of God, including the life and teaching of Jesus. Do they honor God? Do they listen to and apply his word? Do they encourage and warn us to fulfill God's creation mandate, to act as God to his creation and care for it? There's no coincidence that Uncle Ray has been the delegate to COP26 and COP27 for Australia and the Western Pacific, speaking on the needs of people in low-lying areas to be protected from the effects of global warming. He's a prophet there as well. Do these prophets teach, live, and love as God intends? Do they bring a message of peace, reconciliation, and hope? I think they do, if not perfectly, at least as well as we deserve, and as they do, we should support them, give them a place to speak and give them the honour of us listening to them, accepting their offers and taking their advice. This has to be a place where we honour our prophets, the prophets of old and the prophets of today. I invite you to stand now and join us in thanking God for all the saints he gives us